Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I am so glad you're here. I empower leaders to delight their customers, and I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights, wisdom, and practical tips that you can use immediately. I'm excited to announce the Trusted Guide Roadmap. It's a masterclass for CX leaders who struggle with executive buy-in and are ready to go beyond CX fundamentals. This CX 2.0 masterclass gives you proven frameworks that take you step-by-step through a four-step model that will move you past the frustration of your CX efforts hitting a wall. It's unique because it's live, interpersonal, hands-on, and we give you tools and templates to help you build your CX roadmap. To learn more, visit www.empoweredcx.com. That's EmpoweredCX, E-M-P-O-W-E-R-E-D-C-X.com. Well, I am excited to have back on the Delighted Customers podcast, Bruce Temkin, Bruce is the co-founder of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. He's the head of the XM Institute and uh, and is a friend of mine, uh, a CX thought leader, and someone who is a visionary in my world. And I'm excited to hear both what he's what Bruce what you're up to and what you are planning. And um, and today we're going to talk about a topic near and dear to my heart, which is trust both interpersonal, institutional trust, uh, how to measure it, uh, how, to, how to make it real in an organization. And uh, no one I'm more excited to talk to about it than with you, Bruce. Welcome to the show. Awesome. And Mark, I can't imagine a better person to talk trust with than you, since I trust you immensely <laughs> to help the world figure out how to do better customer experience. Um but I'll correct you on one thing. Yeah. I am no longer the head of the XM Institute. This is somewhat breaking news. Um, I left Qualtrics um, where I was for five years and enjoyed being there, helping the organization, helping the world figure out how to deal with and implement experience management. Um, but I left because I have a calling for a bigger, broader mission to help the world on a on a theme that I'm calling humanity at scale. Um, I don't want to bother the listeners with that now. Um, they can go maybe follow me on LinkedIn and see what that's up to. But even in that world, trust remains a central component of the something that I care about. So excited to talk to you about trust. Well, excellent. And uh, love to break news here on the show. Uh, and this is both exciting and, and in some ways not surprising because you have done so much to help our profession, uh, the customer experience profession and, and employee experience. And what you've done through Tempkin and now through the XM Institute is remarkable. And anyone who's, I mean, just the open source information that you have made available on models and frameworks uh, that help the profession have been um, just invaluable. I appreciate that. I, from, from the moment I started to focus on customer experience, um, I realized that what I wanted to do was whatever work I did, help as many people as possible. That's always been like what jazzes me, not like figuring out how to monetize it or anything like that, but how do, how do we help people? And, um, quickly realized that 
the the way to help people is to get whatever good ideas there there are, whether they're yours or other people's, and get them shared widely across the community. So. Um, whether it was creating the Customer Experience Professional Association or joining Qualtrics so we could create the XM Institute that pretty much gave away all of our thought leadership. Um, it's always been about how do we get this community, your listeners, right, the broader group of listeners, yeah. to be able to share with each other. Yeah. And, and I'm so excited because I believe that trust is what underpins the success of anyone trying to make change, especially trying to make change. And those of us in the CX world with limited budgets, small teams, and very little uh, positional power. Yep, absolutely. I think trust is a cornerstone to all of that. So um, I have a, a little bit of background myself, having worked with trusted advisor associates for a while in the world of trust and, and how to build relationships and what defines trust, but I really would like to hear from you about how you think about trust, starting with the definition. Yeah, so um, it's interesting. We um, we we called XM Institute labeled this year the the um, year of trust. We do that every year, come up with a theme. Yes. And part of what we do when we create the theme is go back and look at what is what is some of the core underlying research in the area. Um, so you can, you know, I looked at lots of definitions of trust, you know, Webster's dictionary has the definition of trust, you know, there's that, but I think that the most productive definition of, of trust comes from, um, Meyer Davis and Shorman. It's sort of, I think the most recognized definition of trust, and it's the willingness of a party to be vulnerable to the actions of another party based on the expectation that the other will perform a particular action important to the trustor, irrespective of the ability to monitor or control that other party. Now, I I, I know that sounds academic, right? Um, and if, but I believe it captures the essence of a few things. First of all, trust is really about getting someone to agree to do something with someone else when they just don't know what the outcome is going to be. Right. That's ultimately what we're doing with trust. Right. Getting someone to say, I will go with you, even though there's no certainty about where we'll ultimately end up. Right. That is the behavior element of trust. And, and then the description of it exists between two parties, a trustor and a trustee. Trustor, the person who's giving the faith in the other person. Trustee, the, the entity or individual that is earning and or not earning that trust that's being given to them. Yeah. So spot on, 100% in alignment with everything I've heard and read. One of the aspects, and I'd be curious to hear what you think about this, and I, my, my mentor in this area is the guy who wrote The Trusted Advisor, Charlie Green, um, and he talks about the, the importance of the reality of relation, relational risk if there's no risk, there's no reason to trust. So, so what you're talking about is the willingness to go with, you know, with someone else agreement with someone else, not knowing the outcome, because if you knew the outcome was already good, then there wouldn't be a need or a need to trust. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like if, if, um, if I'm going to go with someone on a trip 
And I know exactly where we're heading because I've been there before. Mm -hmm. I don't need a lot of trust to go with that person. But think about if you, you um, decided you're going to go on vacation with a friend and you, you, you not only were they putting together the itinerary, but the itinerary is going to places you've never been before. You have to have a lot of trust, right? right? Whereas if you're going with that friend and they're putting together an itinerary where you've been to those locations, I've been to, and and you stayed at those hotels, you don't need a lot of trust to let them go and do that for you. So I do think that an element of trust is the risk and uncertainty that exists on the path that you're going. And and Bruce, what what would you how would you describe if somebody wanted to become so, so let me back up. You said there there is a trustor and a trustee, and the, those two people coming together make up trust, right? If if there well, is, yes, I would say I have to let me interrupt quickly because there's a third yeah. component. Yeah, do it. There's the trust and the trustee, which are the the players in the game, but there's the context in which the trust occurs, which is the third element. Right. So there's the trustor, the trustee and the context of the interaction. So those are the three components, three components. And what um, what in your mind um, affects whether or not someone is going to trust another person? Yeah. So I think it's all of those. Right. It's there are elements around the trustor. Right. Is is the trustor someone who's knowledgeable in the area? Is the trustor someone who is innately a trusting person? Right. So there are elements around the trustor. Um, and then there's their perception, perception and connection with the trustee, which are influenced by two areas. It's like some there, there's cognitive trust and effective trust, right? Cognitive trust is you know, the degree to which the trustor actually understands the ability of the trustee to deliver on whatever this uncertain future is. Let's go back to the vacation. If I have a friend, right, who is planning a trip, if I have previously seen them um, plan trips that I've gone on where I didn't know and they were great, then I, you know, my knowledge about them allows me to have cognitive trust. I have like information tells me. Effective trust is something, it's sort of, that's like the leap of faith, right? I have to believe, although I have no evidence that says that they do. And that would be like, let's say I have a good friend and they seem to be fun and energetic, right? Um, and I really enjoy being with them and they're planning a trip. I may know nothing about their trip planning skills. I may know nothing about their history, but they seem fun. So I think it would be fun to go on whatever trip they would define an itinerary, right? That's effective trust, right? So those are elements, but then you, you know, the context, we have to put the context in and we talked about some of this earlier, right? Let's say I'm going on a the trip I'm, I'm deciding with this friend is a weekend in New York. All right, a weekend, even if it goes bad, it's just a weekend, right? That's different than if I was planning to take a month out of work 
and go on vacation with this friend who's planning itinerary, well, that's now a bigger risk and a more difficult situation for me to give that person trust. So Bruce, it sounds like a couple of things I'm hearing in this in this model you're describing is one is the perceived degree of risk that one person has. And the example you just shared is New York. It could be an investment I'm making. Yep. Um, it, it could be in a relationship I might pursue uh, romantically. Uh, it could be. Uh, and, and it also, it, I wonder if it has to do with like just me as a person, if I'm a trusting person. Absolutely. And let, let's extend, you You name some some other examples. It yeah. also includes with um, deciding to get a, um, an insurance policy with an insurer. It also includes deciding to deploy a technology with a B2B SaaS company, right? Like the trust goes on. But yeah, it does, it absolutely has something to do with the trust tour, right? Whether, whether I feel, you know, there are people who just don't trust anything. There are people who trust things, but there are also things like if I think about myself or you think about yourself, there are domains where you feel like you can trust more. And those are domains where you feel like you have more of an understanding and control because what, uh, what that amounts to do is there are situations where you as a trustor feel like there's lower risk because of what you know and what your capabilities are, right? So if I am, if I'm really smart about my financial needs, then I feel a little bit less risk associated with a financial planner that I might go with. Yeah. If I'm, if I feel like I know nothing about the financial world, then that might cause me to see more risk associated with a financial advisor because I'm putting more of the emphasis on the decision making on them with me having no controls. So there's both innate things about me being a trustor, whether I am willing to trust or not, but also contextual elements, right, that shape my trust in a specific um, relationship with a company or another individual. So where do, uh, let's just use the word leader. It could be a CX leader. It could be uh, someone else trying to make change in an organization. Where do they tend to mess up in this area? So I think they tend to think about trust as an attitude, right? Like, you know, if we think about trust as an attitude, then there's, you know, you we put together these big plans and, you know, annual cycles around building trust and trust is so important. And we, you know, so we, we create this movement around trust. Um, whereas I, I think that there's much more disciplined behavioral elements of trust they can focus on, right? Like to me, it's where does trust, if I'm, if I'm a CX leader, I have to ask the question, where does trust manifest itself? And how do we design for that trust that we want? So if we go back to the definition, the willingness of a party to be vulnerable to the actions of another party, right? Blah, blah, blah. So where are we trying to get, if it's, let's say customer experience, same thing would be employee experience, patient experience, partner experience, whatever it is. But if we're trying to get a customer to be willing 
to be vulnerable to our actions. What are they? So I go back to let's say it's a, a let's say it's a bank, right? And what we maybe what we we want is we want the bank we want our uh, customers to use our e-banking solution, right? Like there's a bunch of older customers who we want them to do more banking online. And that's the vulnerable act we want them to make is their willingness to do that with us. Then instead of thinking about what do we have to do with trust overall, we have to think about in those situations, an older um, customer who may not want to be doing online banking with us, what's the nature of them as a trustor, What's the nature of us as a trustee? And what's the context around that situation? How do we establish trust thinking about all three of those? And I think there are strategies around the trustee, the trustor, and the context that we can do to build the trust we need to get the outcomes that we want. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm, I, I love what you said, and I, I've got, I want to go back to something you shared earlier at the top about your giving to the industry and the profession. You had shared a um, CX roadmap model at one point. I don't know if you called it that, but it was like, you know, assess the current state, fi find out the gaps, um, uh, prioritize the projects, and then build your roadmap. Right. And I, I use that generally to create a roadmap for a course that I developed called the Trusted Guide Roadmap. And thank you for that, by the way. And and by and that's part of the archives of what you can find at the XM Institute. Thanks to Bruce. So go there um, and I'll be providing show notes to that and Bruce's connection in the show notes. Um But I wanted to say that part of this Trusted Guide Roadmap includes Trusted Guide because in my opinion, this trust piece for someone with a small budget, with a small team, with no positional power is going to have to be able to build trust. And that means the way you described it was with customers. Yes, there's that aspect of it, but also with all these internal stakeholders that then you also have to do you what you described really was a persona, right? A per, uh, really understand the persona of that person. Get in their shoes. What are they, not what you're thinking, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? What they, what stress or, or risk, we talking about trust, what risk might they be perceiving, right? So I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll get your reaction to that. So perfect. That's, that's great. Trust is, you know, all around the world. It's trust. We need trust with the people and organizations around us yeah. to be able to create trust with the customers we want and with employees. Like trust is like every every individual interaction is about trust. I mean, my coming on this podcast, right, has to do. I have to trust to some degree that you're going to take it where 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 I'd like to see it go, and it's going to be public. Like. You know, but but I know you really well yeah. and we built up trust. So I have like no problem going wherever like and that's trust between us. I want to go back to the notion of even when we think about a CX professional and it, it's really, you know what? It's not just a customer experience profession. It's any professional in any do in, in any field needs to have the cooperation to some degree of other people. Right. And that cooperation is always based on some degree of trust. 
right? But I come back, I, I come back to the definition. We'll, we'll, we'll do the CX professional view, right? At the end of the day, I can think about, I need to build trust across this large group of stakeholders in an organization. That is overwhelming. And you talked about it, like a small budget, small groups, like you're going to build trust around the world. That, that to me is why I go back to, let's not think about trust as an attitude. But think about what are the things that I want those people to do? What are the what are the vulnerable actions that I want them to take mm. in order to help me succeed with the things I want? And then we can address them at three levels, right? We can address them. What is it about that? And I'll take all three of those, right? The first part is what do I know about them as individuals that can lower their view of the trusting, right? Yeah. And let's say they're a person who just doesn't trust um, people who come with PowerPoint slides and do stand-up routines. Okay, then let me address them in the way that they want. Maybe they like to have face-to-face discussions. Oh, power. Okay, so I can start having them think of me differently, right, by addressing their innate trust triggers, right? The other thing I can do as a trustee in their trust is to let them know about how I've actually helped other people like them when I've worked with stakeholders so that they know that I don't go behind their back, that um, I listen and incorporate what they do. And I can demonstrate that by showing them how I've worked with other stakeholders And then what I can do in terms of the context is I can lower the risk. So for instance, if I want a senior executive to um, invest 20% of their budget in projects that are CX related for the next year, well, that's a big ask, right? So, and that's a big risk because I'm asking them to divert a lot. Well, maybe I can lower the risk of the context by saying, okay, let's just start with this little piece, Mm. right? Because then that situation is more like me going with the friend that I know on a weekend than me committing to a friend that I hardly know to go on a month-long vacation. So I can I can think about what I want that person to do. What what is that vulnerable action I want them to take, and then help make that happen by thinking about them as a trustor, me as a trustee, and the context of the environment in which I want that action to be taken. Yeah. So if in in the in the playing field of this game, and it's not a game, but the, the... I think no, I think it is like. I'll go back. I, I like calling it a game. Yeah. Because it's it 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 a game has a certain amount of interactivity and strategy that you have to play. Um and I think game, you know, uh, so a little bit more about my background. The reason I love the game is I think if I was to ever do it again, start my life again. I would get my uh, PhD in economics and game theory. Right. Mm. So I do believe in the notion of game theory that sort of everything is a game in that context, not in terms of video games. Right. But when I think about games, I think about game theory and I think about game theory 
is about understanding how do you get the outcomes you want when there are multiple players who have multiple goals and objectives in that game. Yeah, and and we're not talking about nefarious, uh, you know, game gaming yeah. like people game NPS. Um, we're, we're not talking about that. We're talking about you know trying to understand that there is. I, I think there's there's a quantifiable mathematical scientifical component that goes into this soft area, this human area of our lives. It's a reality now. How to calibrate you know, how to put the numbers associated with an individual's risk is almost impossible. But what we're talking about here is trying to grasp what that risk perception might be for another person. Put the thought and the energy into that before you start developing strategies. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got, I mean, if I'm going to, if the, if I'm going to want someone to take a vulnerable action with me, I sort of need to understand how they perceive the risk of that situation and the risk of me as a trustee, right? Let's start there and let's design our approach around mitigating those risks. That's one of the things, right? Let's mitigate the risks, the perceived risks they have about where this ultimate outcome is going to go. And that's by a combination of adjusting the context in which we're going to do and and changing maybe how they think about me as the trust door as a trustee yeah and so um one of the things 100 and one of the things that um i think it was in his second book trying to go back to charlie green and he talks about this this t-chart of high trust versus low trust and and just the importance of what we're talking about here can easily be overlooked but in, in high trust situations, which may not happen, there's a whole there's a whole thing also about the speed at which trust can happen and, and different different uh, arguments about that. Charlie says it's a bit myth that it has to take a long time. Um, but but the, if you think about the T chart, you're talking about like decisions by committee when there's low trust versus expedited decisions and less bureaucracy around decisions. There's, uh, there's, you know, normally there's going to be an RFP process that's drawn out and for, for the simplest, even a renewal of a contract versus, Hey, we're just going to green light this thing because we have trust. And it, for me, it's going back and there's a whole list, you know, you can go down the low trust versus high trust, why it's so important. And so if you think about what you described about reducing the perceived risk in a given situation by uh, right sizing or small, you know, making, turning it into a quick win versus a huge home run. Um, you're, you're not just getting approval for something you're, this is going to sound horrible. You're winning the trust game. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think that, um, like, like I said, I, I, you, you took, you said the word game and it triggered in me, like how, how I innately think about everything. Yeah. Right. Everything has, part, every situation has participants. Um, and the degree to which the participants know what they want to get out of that game um, and the clarity with which they can put their resources to achieving it means they'll, they'll, they'll get there. And I think that trust, it, building trust is something that you can actually be explicit in your actions about. And I think that's what we're talking about. Yeah. That's that to me is like the whole 
the whole world in which I was talking about game theory, right? It's, it's if you understand the parameters of the game, which is I want to have a level of trust that gets someone else to do something with me that they don't know the outcome of where it will go, then I need to think about that situation and take steps. And one of the steps I absolutely can take is by lowering the perceived risk associated with them coming with. That, that's one of many, right? Another thing I can do is get them to have more effective trust in me, right? If, if they know me and like me and, and, and think that I've been good in other areas, sometimes that will help them decide to have more trust in me. But so there's lots of skills, but I think it does come down to like, and what maybe we're pounding our, our, your listeners too much on the notion of game, yeah. but I like it. Games have players, they have goals um, and they require some actions that are explicitly taken to win. And that doesn't mean you win at the expense of other people. I guess that's where, we, we have to have people not think about game. Like game theory doesn't require that there's a loser and a winner, right, ever. There are some situations where, where it might go that way. But the game we're talking about can have everyone win, not just a winner and a loser. Yeah, I mean, when, when you think about trust and, and really building trust with someone, you, you, have, to, you have to be authentic, you know, and you have to, and you have to really be thinking about. We just talked about thinking about the other person. Um, one of the one of the components of trust, and I don't know what you think about this in in the trust equation model, is self orientation, and it has really an inverse relationship to trustworthiness. Yeah. So I you know it's interesting that I think that plays into a lot into effective trust, mm. right? So if we think about cognitive and effective trust, cognitive trust is, you know, I, I can see that someone has, has demonstrated and delivered on whatever the outcome is that I might go after, right? Like, um, and so the degree to which I have cognitive trust, I rely less on effective trust. Meaning if, if Mark, let's say I, I viewed you as being self-interested, right? Mm -hmm. Which I don't. But let's say you were totally self-interested and, and, and that would normally make me have less trust in you. But I see that you put out the most amazing podcasts and every one of them is good and solid and, and great, right? Then I would depreciate my effective trust need, right? Which is saying I, the things about know, I know about you make me think you'd be trusted in the situation. And I'd rely more on my cognitive trust, which is an ev evidence-based view of what you've done in this type of situation that would make me feel comfortable being on the podcast. So I think about it that way. I think about the degree to which someone has cognitive trust as being a dominant decision maker over effective trust. But if I don't have, cog like I don't have a history with you, I don't have understand with you, then I rely more on some of those elements like self-interest, which I think plays into effective trust. Nice, nice, I like that. Well, so the, 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 four, the four components, and I'll just marry this up to your, your cognitive and effective 
that um, are included in the trust equation, as Charlie Green says, is credibility, reliability, and those those tend to be more on the logical, pragmatic side of the equation, and then intimacy and self-orientation, which tend to be more on the emotional side. So I see those first two as credibility and reliability and the cogn more, more toward the cognitive side and the intimacy yeah. and the self-orientation more to the effective. Would you agree? I think so. Yeah. I think they line up nicely there. Yeah. So... Um, tell me about you. I know you you declared uh, the year of trust, right, at at the XM Institute at Qualtrics, and then you had some meetups, and yep. and and reflect on that for us. Like, what what did you learn? What can you what wisdom can you impart for us on what you discovered? Yeah. So um, part of what we do when we name the the year with a theme trust in previous years, it's been empathy and agility, um, is that we do it for the goal of spurring discussion in the community, right? Like the, the whole reason for it is to get attention on a key topic that is collectively, you know, discussed and, and shared and points of views are shared. So one of the things we do it um, or did at the XM Institute when I was when I was leading it, and, we, and it still goes on without me, um, mm -hmm. is to hold monthly discussions on topics. And we did a couple on trust. There were great, great discussions around, the, similar to the discussions we've had, you and I have had, right? Like the, some of those same topics. Yeah. But one of the more interesting was, was when it came to how do you measure trust? Mm. And so I, we held the, um, the, the monthly meetups at both a time that works for Europe and US and a time that works in Asia Pacific. So we hold two of them on the same topic um, and both of them got to the measurement discussion. And this is where I, um, I sort of pushed back on, there were a, a, a bunch of people that were embracing trust um, and putting in measures like, you know, to what degree do you trust the company? And, and it's a trust measure that, um, to be honest with you, we've published on at XM Institute, at Temkin Group, I published trust in index for, so collectively for 13 years, right? 12 or 13 years like that. Having thought about trust more, um, my pushback was, I think we can do better at understanding trust in the context of what we want to accomplish, going back to this game thing, right? And so to me, if we talk about the, let's let's go back to the example I used about the, um, we want to get in, if a financial services organization wants to get an older population to use their e online banking, right? Right. Understanding broadly, does that, um, will that audience trust the bank may not be the right thing. So what I was pushing for is why, if we really want to understand the trust, then we should be asking to what degree is that audience willing to do something like do e-banking with us as the real um, better understanding of what the measurement of trust is, right? Because trust in an abstract mm, yeah. doesn't get at the definition. So I love going back to primary definitions. Once I have a primary definition, it's the if trust is the willingness of a party to be vulnerable to the actions of another party, 
then why don't we look at measurements of their willingness to be vulnerable to the act, some of the actions we care about, right? That feels to me like that's a better sort of um, measurement, more actionable measurement that we can use than just a abstract view of trust from a trust from a trustor. Yeah. So it's what I'm hearing is what you're sharing is what's the perceived risk, right, from the other party of this particular action we're asking them to take, right? Their perceived risk. And then what specifically are the levers, the the risk drivers? What what is what is it making them feel risky to them that we can maybe mitigate or reduce? Yeah, I think if we look at the situation at like that, then we have a better feel for what are the mitigating things we can do to succeed. Whereas if we just go at and, you know, that audience trusts us or doesn't trust us, then you can see that there are many, many, many steps from that knowledge to the specific actions we need to take to get them to go with us on this journey of vulnerability. So the application, um, as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing an application, which is the, the criticality of understanding your customer, understanding your segments, some would argue individual, all the way down to the individual. Um, and then I think about in terms of this change, making change happen, change management as in your role as a CX leader, is doing this stakeholder analysis and mapping out and really understanding what's important to those stakeholders, not just what's important in terms of their goals. Yeah, I need to hit X 20% growth for next year. I need to reduce cost 10%, whatever. I need to reduce risk. But what do they perceive as risk that would affect trust? Absolutely. And I, you know, we go, go back, the, the game has three components. Mm. It has a trustor, a trustee, and a context. So you need to work on all of them, right? The trustor is that stakeholder, right? And the degree to which you don't understand that trustor means that you're missing a critical part of the game, right? We need to understand how they perceive this trust situation, right? We need to address that, the context on ourselves. So absolutely. And just like everything in customer experience, Right. Customer experience is about understanding and meeting the needs of human beings. Right. Whether it's a trust.
how do we deal when th with things that go wrong? Well, when things go wrong, oftentimes there's trust that's broken. So how do we repair trust? How do we rebuild trust when it's broken? So, yeah, so I think that there's a, there's, um, I, and I love what you say, no one's perfect, right? And it turns out that, you know, it, it doesn't take as long as everyone in the world says to build trust, but it is clear that trust can be broken faster than trust can be built. Um, so trust requires consistency and authentic, authenticity, right, to continue to build the trust once you've created it. Um, but once you make a mistake, I think you have to understand what is the person's expectations of you to respond. Um, because I, I think at the end of the day, if you if you have trust, people, one of the things that we've looked at in the past is, and we've tracked, is the notion of forgiveness, right? What comes along with trust hmm. is a willing to forgive. Mm -hmm. but, but also with the feeling of trust is the willing to feel like you've been let down. So I think if you have a trusted situation, it requires, when there's an issue, it requires transparency, requires clear response, and then it requires an apology. I used to have this sort of model about it, but at the end of the day, I think it's, the, it's sort of the same reaction you need to have whether you were trusted or not trusted to begin with, right? Um, but recognize that once you've broken someone's trust, if you don't respond fairly quickly, it can break in ways that you don't expect, right? That, and that's the difference. Like if, if and, and let's say it's, um, let's say I have, and we'll use, we'll continue with bank. Let's say I love my bank. Um, I don't know how many people can say that, but certainly Mark, when, when you were at the bank, everyone loved the bank you were with because you were doing your job so well. Um, so let's say we love a bank and we hate, our um, cable company. That's easy to say because most people hate their cable company. Right. Um, and and a problem happens. If it happens to cable company, it doesn't really change my view of them. I you know they were terrible to begin with. I expected that they're gonna like, like nothing's really changed. I love my bank, and they treat me poorly. I can feel devastated. It's not only the situation, but my view of them might be disrupted for a long time. So that's why in those situations, it's really critical for me to see that you care, you're responding. So at least I have that situation, but it's not breaking the core foundation of how I feel about the bank. Um, so anyway, long, long um, answer to a reasonably short question that you had, which is my typical approach. No, so what? just to recap that, what I heard was transparency about it i heard a clear response and then later on you kind of add added in timely time and empathy and empathy and show empathy you had um an apology yes included in that and i wonder if this last part um and i don't know if this becomes a perception part but i've i've heard um a, a sense from the other part the hurt party that you're not going to repeat whatever caused the problem so um, I'm not, I, I'm not sure that has to be a part of it, um, because it, it there might be situations when you can't. Let's you know I you know I'm an airline. Yeah. Let's say I'm an airline, right? And your flight was delayed. 
I can apologize, but I shouldn't commit that I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it goes back to you have to know the realm in which you are and just, you know, it, it's not about it's not about making promises. It's about being clear and authentic about what you can do for them and living up to those promises. Yeah. Excellent. Well, great, great conversation. Uh, like I said, I could talk all day about this to you and other things. We, we wish you the best of luck in the next chapter of your life. So excited for you and thankful for what you've done for our profession, as I said, said before, Bruce. Thanks so much for being on the show. My pleasure. And, and Mark, thanks for all you do, giving the world great advice and great insights in your work. Thank you, Bruce. Well, thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great talent, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those at empoweredcx.com.